This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Black ball. Black, black, black ball. Black ball. Black ball. What is up, everybody? My name is James D. Fury, and this is Blackballed. Tonight, our guest, um, I've been watching him lately deal with uh, sort of reaction to some people who support sort of that outspoken fringe element in politics that we're seeing these days. And um, one of the things that I like about our guest tonight is that he is a person who is tough to nail down ideologically. And this is going to sound hilarious in a lot of ways, but um, I sort of see him as a person who is able to maintain objectivity as a journalist, which is something that used to be a given in journalism. But uh, since the days of social media began, it seems more and more that journalists are parking their pen in one camp or the other. Uh, my next guest, I believe, does not fall into that trap. And his name is Stephen. Stephen, how are you, buddy? Good. And yourself? I'm doing well. Thank you for joining me. I know it's a little bit hectic for you today, but I appreciate it. Where are you right now? You're on a beach somewhere? So I'm just happy to be alive and be here (laughs) listening to the sea. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, serenity now, I guess. Um, (laughs) I I saw you today kind of dealing with a bunch of stuff. And uh, what I wanted to sort of get to first was we had a we, we've had a situation in this country for a while now it has um kind of i think spiraled a little bit out of control um the easy way to talk about it is to say that our discourse is suffering um but there's a couple of extra nuances and caveats inside that i'm going to play a little clip here and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about what we just saw and what you tweeted today that i think was actually um not said enough and something that i found really refreshing so first we're going to go to this clip fuck you you fucking scum you blade how deep is that in my fucking back we fucking bleed for you we fucking bury these guys for you and this is what you fucking do this is how you treat I'm you! We're the fu- I'm your fucking brother! Fuck you! Who the fuck do you think you are? Gun or rope! Mike! Okay, that was Jeremy McKenzie. And one of the things that I think that should be uh, pointed out is that he is a veteran um, 
who knows what he's gone through, but something that you tweeted today I thought was really powerful, which is, um, as I have been researching Diagalon, and I believe Jerry McKenzie, who was the person that we just saw in that clip, is a co-founder, I think. You might want to correct me on that if I'm wrong. But anyways, you said, as I have been researching Diagalon, I keep on thinking of a line from James Baldwin. I imagine one of the reasons people cling to their hate so stubbornly is because they sense that once hate is gone, they'll be forced to deal with pain. How much of this is a mental health issue versus a political issue? Well, I don't. Uh, I've never met him. I know that he he uh, served in Afghanistan in 2007. Although I haven't been able to confirm that. Um, believe uh, that he has been an advocate for soldiers' liquid poisoning, which is an anti-malaria drug, which I actually took uh, at one point in my life from it. But so. Um, you know, I, I, I w it would be about Jeremy McKenzie as if I know him. Uh, but you look at that view, but I see a person who's suffering, who's, who's, uh, uh, issues, uh, there are contradictory view PTSD, mm -hmm. uh, um, and on a human level, you can say, well, here's somebody who, uh, who's dealing with struggles in their other level. Uh, he's threatening people often. He's saying that Jugmeet Singh belongs in the electric chair. He's saying, uh, ex journalist, that he's going to go visit him at his house. He's saying things about uh, news, person who who has been a focus for a lot of hatred from these people that, you know, you, you wouldn't uh, expect to get away from with saying them in front of, if you know what I mean. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This, so this, uh, can be true. He, he, uh, is a person who seems to be suffering and some of this is accessible and, and, uh, uh, um, it's our issue to deal with somebody yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, what is the, like, it, okay, so it, we're not going to diagnose, I'm not going to be an armchair psychiatrist or psychotherapist or anything. It does seem like he has some problems. I don't want to attack a man if he does have problems, but there's also something to be said for bad behavior. The, the whole thing about Diagalon and Jeremy McKenzie and other people that are uh, within that group about when they get caught doing something or saying something nefarious, ah, we're just kidding. That is an old trick, isn't it? Yeah, I I uh, shared a quote today from Jean-Paul Sibaud, uh, He and he wrote this right after the war. He was a French philosopher who was in Paris during the night, uh, uh, and he wrote a, a, an important essay about anti-Semitism uh, for the war, and he identified... Uh, a sort of clownish Semites, in that they 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 clowning and joking around, which works for them because is that that serious discourse trying to debate uh, uh, is not their point. They they have the liberty 
to be what they're really trying to do is not to convince you with argument, but to frighten people, demonstrate to make people fearful. He observed that in in the late believe that we still see the same pattern today, and it's something that people should be aware of. I see some people here saying, "Oh, the media got clowned by this guy. Ho ho ho! This is a joke. The media." Fallen for it, ha ha ha. No, should uh, think, think a little more carefully, right? This is, uh, I, I don't find it funny at all. Anti Semitism, uh, hate. I'm very, uh, I like to have a few jokes. I become very dour person when we start, talk, start talking about Holocaust denial. Uh, I lose my sense of humor entirely. Right. Yeah. And I don't blame you. Um, and, you know, <clears throat> it's something that eventually people are going to have to sort of answer for. Um, all the stuff that's happening today reminded me of a piece that you wrote in The Walrus, I think back in May. Um, <clears throat> it says uh, why politics is getting or why is politics getting nastier with threats and harassment rising? Running for office has become a dangerous job. Also, I guess being in office, you could add to that. I'm just thinking of the Christia Freeland situation. But what you wrote is. Over the last several years, the business of politics in Canada has become uglier. In 2020, Vice News spoke to numerous lawmakers and staffers who complained about the frequency of security incidents, such as physical assaults and death threats. The vitriol seemed to surge during last year's federal election when representatives from all levels of government and from across party lines reported threats and attacks. Some party operatives, according to CBC News, called it the nastiest campaign they've ever experienced, and the RCMP noted an increase in the need for additional security. Volunteers and candidates were assaulted. In one incident, police charged a 56-year-old woman for pinning a liberal incumbent against the wall with a table. Trudeau, who opted to wear a bulletproof vest at a 2019 rally due to RCMP concerns for his safety, wasn't spared. A People's Party of Canada staffer is awaiting trial for allegedly throwing a gra gravel at throwing gravel at him during a London campaign rally. And last year, a gun-toting military reservist from Manitoba was sentenced to six years in prison after he rammed the gates near the prime minister's residence with his truck in 2020. In a lot of these examples that I've heard you uh, talk about, and in that piece you mentioned Michelle Rempel and Catherine McKenna, and the type of abuse that they experience. Um, how much does hypocrisy among voters and among citizens like like myself and others who may have decided that if it happens to the person they hate, they're all for it, but if it happens to someone they support, they're dead against it. How much of that kind of like general citizen hypocrisy is kind of the problem here? Yeah, no, no you're right. Uh, and um, there's sort of two, Two things that overlap here, I think. One is, is that when prime ministers are in office, we saw this with Mulroney, uh, with Harper, uh, with Pierre Trudeau, buildup of animus against them. Uh, it's just people are tired of them and they're tired of whatever. Uh, and that, so that's a permanent kind of thing. You know, cyclical, these moments arise when there's a lot of anger against the incumbent. Um, there's a second thing, though, that's happening overlaid on top of that, I think, uh, uh, which is people out there who feel uh, uh, express their fury in a way that w was not true in the past. Uh, and the reason is because um, people in all parties are getting it. Uh, Michelle Ramp. Uh, 
uh, can't announce her campaign events ahead of time. Charlie Angus of the NDP has had to get a peace bond against some lunatic. And yesterday we saw Chrissy Freeland uh, and, and her staff uh, cursed at and by this enormous man, right? Like the, the, it's piling up. In the United States legislators in the United Kingdom have been killed. Uh, if we keep going this way, there will be a time not that far off. When we'd be saying, well, this politician was killed. That's what we're headed to. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Yeah, I mean, and uh, was it during the... um, um the committee hearings, uh, Wilson Rabel, when, when the Privy Council ca- uh, um, came out and said, you know, we're eventually going to see a dead body on the streets because of uh, our, de- our dead politician or he's worried about an assassination attempt for some politician. Um, I- I'm starting to worry about that, too, because, you know, w- when you see Christia Freeland, to me, that was a little scary. She was surrounded by female staffers. None of them look like security to me. <laughs> um, and this guy is like, pretty menacing looking and he's walking towards her calling her a fucking bitch and that he's get the fuck out of his province i believe he used and walking the to the word as well yeah yeah and he's walking towards her towards an elevator like that could have went sideways in no time flat and then you see people respond to that by saying first of all there's a lot of people saying like the bitch deserved it i couldn't believe some of the tweets that i saw after that came out um but then the people that are like just deflect to something that might have happened to their politician. And it's like, there's never a starting point of conversations anymore. I think is really what I'm trying to say. We never have a place where we can just both like, uh, and, and I hate to use the word both sides because I think we're a lot more nuanced than just a polarized electorate. But for the sake of this conversation, where both sides can't just sit down and just agree on a starting point. Even like we don't agree with the facts on the ground anymore. We we're, we're living in a post truth era. I don't know what I thought uh, Andrew called. Yeah. Go ahead. I thought Andrew Coyne made a good point the other day, uh, maybe today on Twitter, saying it doesn't matter who says anything about anything. The immediate response is um, the liberals for giving a, a, a anti-racism grant to a race. The liberals said, "Well, what about Pierre Polyev? If you criticize Pierre yeah. Polyev for not, well, what about the racists?" It's um, it's sort of exhausting, right? That so people are in their tribal partisan camps, 
that wh- whatever happens, it's it's a threat to their identity. If you are saying something about their, they say, well, that's terrible. Uh, what about the other person, right? That seems to be getting stronger and stronger, but it's also probably the social media bubble that we live in. Right? People aren't like that. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think there is a cure for this kind of shit? Or do you think this is just going to be here with us forever? Because I, I honestly, I used to think, I used to think a little bit more positively. And now I think being pragmatic means knowing that it's not going to get better. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I think I am in favor of algorithmic transparency, make YouTube and mm-hmm. fa- show us uh, uh, how they're saying people right there's very very good research that shows you know you take a normal computer and uh within two weeks uh or youtube or facebook is is giving him you know holocaust denial crap right because mm-hmm. it keeps him in his chair so is enough scrutiny on that stuff but that's very difficult to manage. Uh, it's difficult for other countries to do it if the Americans aren't. Um, the answer is we gotta uh, have people like Christia Freeland when they go around. But I know from talking to them, whenever there's an election, politicians can have security. But when there's an election and they're knocking on doors all the time every time they knock on a door they become fearful i i talk, talk to politicians you know they dread that part of the job a part of the job that they used to enjoy yeah and it feels like um i don't know how many of them would trade uh would make the trade okay you'll get no more threats but you know you'll have no social media i don't know if they would make that trade yeah it's impossible that uh, kind told me that at one point was dealing with uh, terrible threats and went to the mountain officials and somebody said, well, you know, you, you are just going to have to stay off social media. It's like, I'm the minister of environment, yeah. right? I yeah. can't, right? That's my job. So I, I do believe uh, police can do when people are getting threatened. I don't think police have caught up in uh and they're not not coordinating as well as they but even if they get smarter and do more it's a tough old world uh the rise of conspiracy theories the the uh pandemic everyone two years sitting around at home isolated watching poison on their computers you know i'd like to think it's going to get better but you you tell me, man. You, do you see it getting better? No. I think it's going to get worse, and I think violence is going to inevitably show us what the fruits of our labors have been. <clears throat> I'm going to let you go because I know that you have family waiting. I just wanted to ask you one last thing about um, whether or not you think that social media needs to be such an integral part of a minister's daily routine. Why is that something that is necessary for them to be able to operate when it wasn't just 10 years ago? Uh, they've got to be able to uh, 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 try to sell or not 
It's not like the old days where everyone's sitting around watching uh, Lloyd Robertson and waiting for the right. Uh, so, yeah. so you got to go. There's an old saying, and you got to fish where the fish are at, right? Yeah. And uh, so, if you're a minister, you got to out. Here, <laughs> right? Like I'm defending it. I, I find kind of dumb and beside the point. But whatever, that that's what they're doing. That's what they're and say whatever the government, the, the message the government is trying to get across. And we have humanity, right? Like people think of politicians. This is something I've been covering politics for a long time. Or other, you realize, well, these are just people, right? They Mm-hmm. And and people encounter at the Tim Hortons or buddy at the gas station, they deserve to be treated with respect. What you you should not treat a politician with less respect than you would treat the lady at the Tim Hortons counter, That's or true. more, for that uh, matter. In my opinion, I look. I'm an atheist who believes in the golden rule, right? Treat others the way you want to be treated, and that's pretty much yeah. it. Uh, Stephen Marr, thank you very much. I'll let you get back to your family. We, I really appreciate you taking the time. And, uh, My we'll pleasure. Talk again soon. Thanks, brother. Thanks, brother. Have a good one. Um, sorry about the sound, guys. I know it was a little bit choppy. Um, but, uh, yeah, Stephen Marr, he's such a good journalist. Uh, you should check him out. He's a managing uh, – what? sorry, not the managing editor, but a contributing editor to McLean's. Like I said before he came on, he's one of those guys that, you know, still believes in like old school journalism where, you know, if something happens in the conservative realm, he'll come at it objectively. Something happens in the progressive realm, he'll come at it objectively. And unfortunately, that makes him kind of a rare bird these days. And, um, you know, I can't tell you how disappointed I am in that. But... um, you know, nevertheless, uh, you know, he's able to give us a good glimpse. And the reason why I trust him, by the way, when it talk, comes to the, like the diagonal stuff and the and the right wing extremism stuff is because I know he doesn't come at it as like, you know, as some pearl clutcher who just wants to like stick it to the right wing. He, he comes at it like an objective journalist and it's like, no, these people are anti-Semites. You know, Jeremy McKenzie may have, um, you know, mental problems that may be well and good, but at the very least, a symptom of his mental problems appears to be death threats and anti-Semitism. So make that, uh, you know, make of that what you will. Um, this is going to be a quick episode today on Blackfold. Um, there was a couple other things that I wanted to talk about, but just, just want to touch on it for a moment. Um, I'm sorry to break the news to a lot of you, but Lisa LaFlam's disappearance from television did absolutely nothing to harm journalism. I'm sorry. She's not a journalist anymore. She's a bingo caller. And I don't mean that disparagingly. I just think it's an archaic system, the way that we have anchor people, the way that they deliver the news in their strong voice. It doesn't matter. Um, Cable television is basically a relic from the past now. Most of us get our news online. I don't know why she was fired. I have no idea if it was because of gray hair. I have no idea if it was because she was a woman. I tend to think that in today's social virtue, or sorry, um, uh, our virtue signaling world that we live in, that no company is is really going to fire someone for being a woman or for having gray hair. I honestly think that Bell Canada, who has a track record of firing people to save money, fired someone to save money. Um, Even if it's just a a drop in the bucket. Uh, I I just, this is the way I feel. And I happen to know that, that she was in some hot water over the Patrick Brown reporting stuff. Um, There was a recording. I have heard a portion of this recording four years ago and it shows, um, Lisa Laflamme, I'll say it allegedly because I don't want anyone to sue me, 
but she did sound a lot like she was coaching one of the girls uh, who was like, I wasn't underage. She's like, but you were in high school, right? You were in high school. It was something like that. And she was like, no, I don't even know why I'm here. So it, it, it was a bad look. And I think that that situation and the other reporting in the Patrick Brown situation was part of the overall lawsuit that Patrick Brown won against CTV. So I think there might have been already some sort of like mark on her uh, by the time she did get let go. But trust me, guys. No one woke up the day after she got fired and, and, and felt a depletion of journalistic integrity or information. It just wasn't happening. It is not something that um, <clears throat> she, she is not uh, someone who is in, indicative of, uh, of unearthing journalism. That's not what she does. Other people do the journalism. She gets the cue cards and she talks about the journalism that other people do. Sometimes she'll interview somebody. But let's be frank, we live in an age of long-form content, and these little four-minute interviews aren't doing anyone any good. They're for sound bites so that they can put something online that will get a lot of clicks so that ad revenue will increase. Her job was to make ad revenue. Her job was not to really like do any type of journalism whatsoever. And the same with Peter Mansbridge, so I don't want anyone to think that I'm just like picking on a woman. Nothing happened to journalism since these people left, except the missed opportunity to take like two thirds of their salaries and put it towards investigative reporting inside CTV so that journalism could actually improve. But they're not going to do that either. Um, so that's that. Um, you can send me your hate mail if you want. Tomorrow, I am going to be having Maxime Bernier on the show. Um Maxime and I are uh, podcast buds, I guess you could say. I think it's like the fifth time I'm interviewing him. But one of the things I want to ask him about tomorrow is, um, like, he's retweeting conspiracy theories now. Um, a man by the name of Tom Quiggin tweeted something. I'm sorry, I don't have it. But he tweeted something that talks about how um, <clears throat> the federal government is going to stage protests that will result in people dying in order to like uh, crush our liberties again. And, you know, I know that retweets aren't an endorsement, um, but he did, you know, retweet it and Andrew Coyne called him out for it. And, you know, um, it's going to be a friendly conversation because I don't really, I don't hate Max. I don't really look at an interview with Max Bernier as something that I have to like start attacking him, but I am going to ask him questions. Um, they're going to be tough questions as far as I'm concerned, but they're not going to be asked in a way where I'm all like serious, you know, looking for the, looking for the serious tone and all that. I'm not going to do that. Um, so hopefully you guys will like that. I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of hate mail before and after that. And then on Friday I have music publicist, Eric Alper. He's awesome. Um, you know, if you go to his Twitter feed, you'll see, um, he's, you know, he's one of those guys that just, He's always in the pop culture thing, but what he does is he he'll tweet things that will make you remember things that will make you feel nostalgic. Um, so that's going to be fun. And uh, da, 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 next week, where I'm going back to the cult, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna have a whole bunch of uh, ex members again. And look, um, that is going to be my beat moving forward for a long time. I'm not going to stop with that. And and um, you know, to to let all my um, rapper audience members know and my journalist audience members know, um, it's all, you know, for a good cause. It's to try to bring down a horrible, evil cult and their present-day Jesus. So I don't know how uh, anyone could fault me for doing that. Now, um, 
Tomorrow, I start at 7 o'clock. That interview will be 45 minutes. And once again, that will be Maxime Bernier. And until then, thank you all. And thank you all in the comments. I love you. You know who you are. Um, but thank you again for watching Black Bolt. And we'll see you next time. Black Bolt. Black, black, black Bolt. the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. Kids. I'm your eager beaver. And I'm Mr. Grizzly. If you love politics or hate politics, then have we, we the perfect, perfect podcast for you. The True North Eager Beaver. Incisive political commentary. We keep you up to date and give you the political and media literacy you seek. To help you cut through the bovine fecal matter. Facts first. Sound analysis. Sometimes I growl. Sometimes I sass. We impart civics and build community. And we share some laughs along the way. Being informed and engaged has never been more fabulous. Or sexy. Catch us on the Dean Blundell Network. Or on our YouTube channel. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Because democracy is something you do.